Well, good morning, Mission Church. Hey, listen, if you are new here today and I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Will and I serve as one of the elders and pastors here at our church. And uh, this morning we are continuing our series through the letter of Galatians. And our passage today comes to us from Galatians chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 24. So if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to please turn to Galatians 1. And we are going to be looking at verses 10 through 24. If you are able, I would love for you to please stand for the reading of God's word. I know some of you are worried right now because I've been doing an hour on two verses. So we're going to be here. I hope you packed the lunch. <laughs> Here's what it says. Verse 10. Paul writes, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it, everyone say received it, through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart, everyone say set me apart, before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I may preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, what a, what a wonderful morning. What a blessing it is to, to gather here today. Thank you, Lord, that even in light of the song that we sang this morning, that we can preach to ourselves, we can sing to ourselves and to one another that it is done, it is finished, it is good news. Thank you for the all-sufficient grace and merit that is ours in Christ. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that for the people here who have never heard the gospel, or have never believed the gospel, I pray that this morning would be the morning that they hear the gospel and they respond to it by faith. And for the people here who already know it, but like me are prone to forget it, I pray that they would be reminded of it again. Lord, the, the gospel is so beautiful that we can look at it every single day for the rest of our lives and never get to the bottom of it. It's like a diamond with numerous facets. And so Father, I pray right now that as I uh, uh, open up your word, Lord, that I would be faithful in expositing it and explaining it and unpacking it, that not only would I explain the word right, that I would rightly divide the word, but as your word is rightly divided, that it would then point us to your work, that the Bible would point us to the gospel and that we would be reminded again that it is finished and that it is done. So lead us now, guide us now. We ask it and we beg it. 
And all God's people said, you may be seated. Now, over the past few weeks, uh, we have been looking at and unpacking verses one through nine. And for those of you who have been following along in this series, you know that in verses one and two, essentially what Paul is doing is he is defending his ministry. And then verses three through nine, he starts to defend his message. So in one and two, he's defending his ministry. In three through nine, he is defending his message. But then in verses 10 through 12, which is the beginning of the text that we are looking at this morning, he goes from defending his ministry and his message to defending his motivation, his motives. Look what he writes in verse 10. He says, for, a, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, the reason why Paul makes the transition that he makes here in this letter, verse 10 in many ways is the, the transition verse from the first nine verses to the next several verses. And what's interesting is that Paul here, the reason why he has to bring up verse 10, the reason why Paul has to address his motives is because the false teachers, get this, were actually claiming that Paul was fearing men. That, that's how, one of the ways that they were trying to discredit Paul's message and ministry is they were saying that Paul was literally preaching the gospel not from a fear of God, vertically, but from a fear of man horizontally. And essentially the reason why they say that is because they're arguing Paul showed up to you Galatians and he preached to you a gospel uh, 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 by faith alone, through faith alone and Christ alone, right? And he says he did it because he actually wanted to make it easier for you. He didn't add the law, he didn't add uh, circumcision, he didn't add the mosaic the traditions, or customs because he actually wanted to give you an easier gospel to believe. That's what they were accusing Paul of. They were saying that Paul wanted the approval of, God, of man and not of God. They are like, Galatians, the reason why Paul's message seems too good to be true is because it is too good to be true. There is no such thing as it is done as it is finished. And so he showed up preaching this watered down, easy believism gospel because he wants your approval and your acceptance, not God's approval and God's acceptance. That's what they were accusing Paul of. In other words, what they're arguing is that grace-based redemption is more palatable and more popular than works-based religion. They were arguing that Paul's done gospel was more popular than their do-it-yourself gospel. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the done gospel is extremely unpopular. Not only is it unpopular, but the Bible actually promises that we will be persecuted for it. Not only will we not be popular for it, we will be persecuted for it. Because according to the New Testament, the good news of the gospel, 
the, 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 the good news concerning the finished work of the Trinity, if you don't know what the gospel means, that's what we mean by the gospel. The good news concerning the finished work of the Trinity is actually not acceptable to a person who doesn't know Jesus. It says in the New Testament that the gospel is foolishness to the lost. It is weakness. It is a stumbling block. I read even uh, yesterday in my devotional that to, in Corinthians, Paul says that to the, unbeliever, to the unbeliever, it is literally a fragrance and aroma of death. There is nothing popular about the gospel message. It just isn't. Maybe you grew up in it and you've been hearing it your whole life. And so to you, it's great. But when you go to a group of people and you say, hey, guess what? You can do absolutely nothing to fix yourself. You can do absolutely nothing to save yourself. You could do absolutely nothing to rescue yourself or to deliver yourself. Church, that is not a popular message. We're gonna look at here in a second how in the world, the world, the, the world preaches religion just as much as religions do. It doesn't matter if you're looking at a, 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 a Muslim uh, a teacher or a Jewish teacher or uh, Tony Robbins or Oprah Winfrey or uh, Deepak Chopra, whoever you're looking at, they're all preaching a do or don't gospel. They're all preaching some sort of ladder. And so when you show up and you tell people that there is no ladder, that you climb up, but a ladder where God came down, that is controversial. And if the message you're preaching isn't controversial, then the message you're preaching probably isn't the gospel. We said last week that there are numerous gospels that are being preached, not just from pulpits, but I would argue even worse from at dinner tables and, and in living rooms. And we talked about the elder brother gospel. We talked about the Whitney and Mariah gospel. We talked about the Home Depot gospel. All those gospels, they're not done gospels. They are do gospels or don't gospels. But, but in all those gospels, you are still the hero. You are still your savior. It is still up to what you do and not what Jesus has done. And to me, one of the things that hits me is that Paul, he goes out of his way in the New Testament to describe religion as the elemental principles. In other words, Paul says, religion is the basic way. That is the default way. And you know how when you, you, you buy new technology, there's default factory settings? Our default factory settings are the elemental principles of religion. Everybody gets that. The, the atheist or the most zealot religious person you know that's not a Christian. They all, their default setting is, I must do something. Paul says that is elemental. That is the basic curriculum. The gospel is the done, not the do. The gospel, we've talked about this, is not the Oprah Winfrey meet God at the top of the mountain. Every road is on their way to the top and we're gonna all get there eventually. No, no, no. The gospel, David Platt says, is the only message that says, no, you don't, you don't get to God at the top of the mountain. God comes down to the mountain, from the mountain to you. Amen. That is not a popular message. It isn't. 
You see, one of the things that's been really hitting me, uh, I've been working on this biblical theology course, and part of it has to do with biblical worldview, how we view the world around us. And one of the things that's been hitting me in, in this book by uh, Trevin Wax, he talks about how every false gospel provides a false community. And within those false communities, you have doctrine, clergy, laws, and as a result, you have blasphemy, damnation, and salvation. So whatever false gospel it is, whatever false gospel it is, what, you, you create a false community based on false doctrine, false clergy, false laws, false blasphemy, false damnation, and false salvation. Right? That, that, that if you take the, the, the equation that is the gospel and you replace anything in it, if, if you are convinced that our biggest problem is political, then you're not going to turn to Jesus. You're going to turn to a politician. And all of a sudden, you believe a different gospel. If, if hell is, 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 is a, 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 an America that doesn't have the church at the center of politics, then salvation is getting back, the church back in the center of politics. That, that's how false gospels work. If, if, if you know, uh, Tim Keller talks about this when he talks about worldviews. He says, one of the ways that you determine someone's worldview is by asking them what they think the biggest problem is. Some people will say the biggest problem is education. We need more education. Well, if the problem is education and the solution is educators, not a savior. Does that make sense? Anytime you change any part of the gospel, you change the problem, you go looking for a different solution. You change what hell is, you go looking for a different heaven. And what's interesting is, whether this is the, the LGBTQ community, the, the progressive Christian community, the, the, the other religions, it, the, 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 what's interesting is that with every false gospel that's preached, there's a false community. And, and the people in that community have a doctrine, whether they want to tell you or not. There's a certain set of laws. There's a certain set of rules that makes you acceptable in this community. And if you don't talk like us and you don't look like us, we will kick you out of the community. Everyone thinks that oh, the bigots are only in the church. No, bigots are everywhere. You see it on social media all the time when some celebrity or some person doesn't acquiesce to the, the, the cultural norm. Pharisees are alive and well in our culture. I was watching this interview the other day and the, pretty much everyone on the panel was not a believer and, and, and very specific in their worldview. And someone on the panel said something different. And they literally, literally almost like in the Old Testament when the Pharisees ripped their, well, the, the Bible, when they ripped their, their, their robes, it was like that. It was like the, the person had spoken blasphemy in their eyes. Because whether they, 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 they say all truth is relative, but it's not, that's not. They actually believe in a set of truths. And that person didn't acquiesce to what they believed. And it literally was like they're sackcloth and ashes because this person wasn't conforming to what they thought the real gospel was. Every person, this is one of the things that stood out to me when we were looking at uh, um, a few weeks ago, well, yeah, last week, when Paul says a different gospel, in the Greek, it literally means a different good news. That, that, that everyone's preaching a good news to themselves. And the question is, is it the genuine good news? Is it the good news of the finished work of the Trinity? But when you preach a false gospel, when you preach a pseudo-gospel, you create a pseudo-community with pseudo-doctrine, pseudo-clergy, pseudo-laws, pseudo-blasphemy, pseudo-damnation, and unfortunately, a pseudo-salvation.
Every other religion, every other worldview says that in light, that this, is what they, this is what they say, in light of the standards that we've established, we travel the path that we've chosen to one day reach the deity that we have created. Religion is way more popular than the gospel. That's why you see self-help as big as it is. Self-help is huge. All religion is is sanctified self-help. Self-help leads to self-reliance. Self-reliance causes you to believe in self-sufficiency. And self-sufficiency then leads to the glory of self. What we learned a few weeks ago in verse 5, that the true gospel brings glory to God. Paul gives us the gospel and his only response is glory to God forever and ever. Because in the gospel, God does everything. But in religion, you do everything. And so who gets the glory? You. Humanity does not like any worldview that doesn't end up with their glory. And then Paul, just to prove that he wasn't preaching for men, he, in Galatians 5.11 and in Galatians 6.12, Paul talks about the persecution that he receives for the message that he preaches. Like, he's like, listen, if I'm popular, I didn't get the email. He's like, because every city I go to, I'm literally left. There's literally a passage in Acts where they think he died. They beat him so bad, they think he's dead. That doesn't seem popular to me. Right? Another thing that's important to address here, and this is one that I think is, hits even closer to home for me and I think for us, is that here in the text, Paul says something that we as Christians either have never heard or we are prone to forget. He says, you cannot please God and man at the same time. You can't. You cannot serve God and serve man at the same time. It is absolutely impossible. Let me unpack some of the words here for you. When, when he says seeking the approval, the phrase there, seeking the approval, means to strive to please someone, to try to gain someone's acceptance, or it means to trust in, hope in, or place your confidence in somebody. That's what that phrase there, seeking the approval, means. And then the word please means to make someone happy, to accommodate them, or to seek favor with them. That's what the word there, please, means. And then Paul then says, you can't be a servant of Christ and a servant of man at the same time. And that phrase there, servant of Christ, uh, servant means to do the will of another or to be pledged or bounded to another person. That's what the word there, servant, means, okay? So Paul says, don't miss this. You only have two choices. You either live to serve and please the God above you or to serve and please the people around you. That's the only option you have. You got to choose one or the other. There's no in between. There's no 50-50. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. And even though in that context, he's talking about money, that principle holds. You cannot serve two masters. Jesus also says in the Gospels, beware when all men speak well of you. I, I, I struggle when, when we try to support and defend false teachers because of how many people show up. Look how fast it grew. Yeah, well, weeds grow fast too. 
How can all these people be wrong? Easy, actually. So, so we, we have to be careful, church, to not fall into the, into the plan that, oh, well, if, we, if, we just, if we're just faithful, at some point, everyone in this city, everyone in this region is gonna speak well of us. No, they won't. The gospel is offensive. The gospel is foolishness. The gospel is a stumbling block. And that's why, unfortunately, there's even churches in Memphis that aren't preaching the gospel because it's such a stumbling block. And so the other thing is, there's another, t- there's another place in scripture where it says that Jesus, he didn't entrust himself to man because he knew what was in man's heart. You know, one of the things that hits me is that, you guys have probably heard this phrase before, the, the phrase, the, you know, this isn't a problem to solve, this is a tension to manage. Have you ever heard that phrase before? If you haven't, you're hearing it now. But that, but that phrase, this isn't, a, this isn't a problem to solve, this is a tension to manage. And, 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 and I think a lot of us, we use that phrase when it comes to the, the relationship between fear of man and fear of God. We're like, well, this is more of a tension to manage. Like I, I could, you know, fear God a little bit, serve God a little bit, you know, right, 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 like get God's approval, but, but, I can, but I can also be on the other side serving and pleasing and accommodating to men. We tend to use that phrase when it comes to this. And the Bible says, no, no, this isn't a tension to manage. This is a problem that's been solved. That if you are in Christ, your desire or your need, a better way to put it, for approval and acceptance is met, met by Christ. That you are now a servant of Christ. Now get this, which is funny because we live in this, you know, we're Americans and we believe in freedom, right? We're all about freedom. Well, the Bible says that before you came to know Jesus, you were a slave to sin. And now that you are in Jesus, you are a slave to Jesus. So you're never free. You're a slave either way. You're a servant either way. You're either serving the things around you horizontally or you are serving the God above you vertically. But you're serving something. You're worshiping something. You're giving your life to something. But here's the the difference, and this is why, again, the gospel is different from any other worldview, religious or secular, is because if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you are in Christ by grace, then now you get, let me put this, you live from his acceptance. You live from his pleasure and his approval, from it. Not for it, from it. But when you live for man, the problem with trying to find your acceptance in man, your approval in man, is that you never operate from it, you're always gonna operate for it. You see the distinction? That that, that if, if I make, if, if I go out into the world, literally I was just talking to my oldest about this just yesterday. She was talking about how people disappoint her at school. And I had to, I'm like, well, it's funny. I'm preaching on this tomorrow. That when you step into your day without reminding yourself that in the gospel, you're already accepted and loved and approved because of what Jesus did and not because of what you've done, you will go out into the world, not from acceptance, but for acceptance. You will go out into the world, not from approval, but for approval. And one of the things that we talked about 
um, during the Sermon on the Mount message is we talked about how when it comes to the Christianity, Christianity is the narrow way and the narrow gate. But Christianity is the only worldview where the gate comes first. Every other worldview, the gate comes at the end. Whether you are in religion or irreligion, you have to climb that ladder and climb that ladder and follow the rules and make sure you don't blaspheme what the clergy teaches, whatever that worldview is, with that false gospel, with that false community. And you climb the ladder and you climb the ladder and then maybe one day when you get to the gate, you find out if you're acceptable or not. Christianity is the only worldview where the gate comes at the beginning, where the acceptance and the approval and the forgiveness and the adoption happens on the front end. So you go into that new life from it, not for it. Church, there's freedom in that. Every morning, every morning, we have to remind ourselves again that the work is finished. We go to the word of God and what the spirit of God does is the spirit of God takes the word of God to remind us of the work of God. And that is the, the cadence that we must be in. You know, I know that for me, one of the things that I had to, to do and one of the things that I had to wrestle with, especially during COVID, COVID was a very difficult season for all of us for numerous reasons, right? But one of the things that happened with me is I have always been a fear of man type person. Like I really, when I was little, I really, really cared about what people think. It's, it's, it's one of my core motivations. And in really, it's just an evidence of my sin, right? And one of the things that was really hard about COVID was having people be so divided. I, I kind of have made it my, like one of my, I don't know if it's a gift or a talent or just some part of my sinful nature, but I would always be really good at kind of reading the room and trying to figure out what the most popular decision was, the one that would gain the most consensus. And then we got into COVID and no one's in the room and everyone's got different perspective on what's right and what's wrong. And I got people emailing me, I got people texting me, I got people accusing me of things because we came, we, we didn't come back soon enough or we showed up too early. And I remember I had to get to a place where I was like, Lord, I need to find my acceptance and my approval in you. And I would love to tell you that it was through some prayer time and just reading the word I got convicted. No, no, it literally just got to a point where I had to decide, Lord, am I finding it in you vertically or am I finding it in other people horizontally? And I'm grateful for the lessons that I learned through that process because even in the renaming of our church, when I first brought that idea up, it wasn't very accepted at first among the people that were in leadership. And if, if I was still in that fear of man mode, I would've been like, well, I guess it's not from the Lord then. But I, I told the Lord, I was like, Lord, this lesson that I've learned, I'm gonna pray way more than I ever have. I asked someone, someone asked me the other day, what, what would you do different if you can go back to three and a half years ago? And I said, I would pray way more than I have. Because when you pray the gospel over yourself, you pray the armor of God over yourself, like we said last week, you remind yourself of who you are in Christ and you seek to do God's will because you're his servant and no one else's, man, there is a freedom and a boldness that comes from that. When you know the Lord's leading you somewhere, there can be all the opposition in the world and it was totally different. But the lessons I learned during COVID completely changed how I dealt with the name change. Because I could look at those people and say, hey, I love you, I respect you, but this is where the Lord's leading me. Does that make sense? See the difference there? That's the freedom that God wants you to have. That's the freedom God wants you to have. 
Even earlier this morning during our circle up, Pastor Tyler was praying for us. And, and there's this little book, The Gospel Primer, that we're working through as a staff, and it's so good. And, and, and in it, he talks about how we are to experience that even though positionally we are in Christ, the way that we experience our salvation is by tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. When the Bible says that, the Bible's saying, hey, experientially, I want you to experience what's true of you. Right? When, when, when it says that the Holy Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are children of God, he cries out, Abba, Father. That is taking the, the objective tru truths of the gospel and making them subjective realities and experiences. That's, that's what it is. That, I, that, that if I go out of my way every morning to taste and see that the Lord is good, to experience the salvation that's already mine in Christ, man, it changes the way I lead. It changes the way I pastor. It changes the way I parent. And then all of a sudden, I can go out into the world, get this, from a place of fullness to serve people instead of from a place of emptiness to use people. Because you may not know this. You don't, you don't have to do any of the things I'm telling you to do. It's up to you. God says to do it, but you can ignore it if you want. But, but if, you, if you don't do it, you go out into the world from a place of emptiness, using people to fill the emptiness, instead of from a place of fullness, serving people for the glory of God. And actually, Martin Luther says that. Luther wrote this little book on uh, Christian liberty. And he says, in light of the fact that the work of Christ is finished, what that means is, he says that our good works are, yes, they're for the glory of God, but they're not for the good of God. God doesn't need our good works. He says our good works now are for the good of others. They're for God's glory and for your good. His good work motivates and empowers my good works for his glory and for the good of others. Amen? Amen. If we understand this, church, and this is gonna take years. This isn't, this isn't gonna be the first, I'm gonna repeat this again in three months and you're gonna be like, I never heard that before. <laughs> That's why Luther says that we are to take the gospel and we are to beat it over people's heads repeatedly. That's what ministry is, Luther says. Taking the gospel and just hitting you over the head with it again and again and again and again. When we do that, though, we become better friends, better parents, better spouses, better coworkers, better employees, better employers because we're going into the world from a place of fullness, from it, not for it. Then after clarifying and defending his motivations, he goes back to defending the message, right? He's, he's, he's defended his motivation and now he's back at defending the message again. Look what he says in verses 11 and 12. He says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So, so Paul says, listen, the reason why you know that the message I am preaching is not a man-centered message is because I didn't get it from man. No man gave it to me. And then he says, not only did no man give it to me, no man taught it to me. He says, how can it be a man-centered gospel when it was given to me by God himself? 
He says, the gospel that I preach to you came directly from Jesus Christ himself. And again, he uses the word received here, which we looked at last week. The word there, received, is in the aorist tense, past tense, and it means to accept something that has been given to you, to take into oneself something that has been passed down to you, or to receive something that has been transmitted to you. And then he says, the thing that he's received. He says in the text that what he's, been, what he's received is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Everyone say the word revelation. revelation. This word was eye-opening to me, no pun intended, because it literally means to disclose something, to uncover something, to unveil something that was previously secret, or to unsuppress something. So, so, there's, there's a lot here. Let me, let, me, let me say this. Last week, we said that the gospel is not something that you arrive at uh, through intellectual reasoning. It is not something that you arrive at uh, from introspective reflection. The gospel is received revelation. Everyone say received revelation. It's received, not achieved, and it's revealed not reasoned, is revealed to us. That, 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 that's the whole premise of what the gospel means. But the reason why this definition is so, is so good is because of what the word revelation means is because what it means is that we don't achieve salvation by grit, but we receive it by grace. We don't reason ourselves into it. We don't reflect ourselves into it, but we solely receive it as a revelation from God alone. If you are sitting here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, oh, it's because I, you know, I grew up in Awana. My pastor told me, my parents thought, no, no. If you are sitting here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, it is only by the grace and mercy of God. Because there are people who will sit in church their whole lives and never believe the gospel. It is a revealed revelation that you received, you didn't achieve. That's what this is teaching us. And one of the things that, that stands out to me is that the word revelation means to unsuppress something. In Romans 1, it says that humanity in their sinfulness, they try to suppress the truth of God. That, 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 that what can be known about God is clear through creation, but it says that humanity tries to suppress it. But then one day, God just decides, I'm going to unsuppress it. You see Paul here, we're going to look at his life. Paul did everything in his life to suppress the truth of the gospel. And then one day God said, I'm going to unsuppress it. Doesn't matter how resistant you are. It doesn't matter how, how, how against me you are. God decides one day to unsuppress the truth of the gospel. He reveals it, he discloses it, he unveils it. Here's the other thing. One of the words that really stood out to me is the, the word unveiled, that the word revealed means to unveil. The revelation means to unveil something. We said last week that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the God of this world, lowercase g on the God, Satan, he blinds the minds of the unbelievers. And Paul specifically uses the word, he veils it. And we said last week that the word there, veil, connects to the veil in the temple, right? 
that one of the things that Satan does is he keeps people in religion. A lot of people think that Satan's only behind rebellion. No, no. Satan is just as much behind religion as he is around rebellion. Whatever keeps you from redemption, right? And one of the things he does is he keeps you veiled. He, 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 the, the veil that's been torn apart, he, in your mind, he tries to make it seem like it's still closed. And so it's up to me to get God's approval, to get God's acceptance, to get God's forgiveness, right? That's what Satan does. So, so, so think about it. In our, in, our, in our sinfulness, we suppress the truth. In his schemes, he veils the truth. But what's beautiful is, is that when God shows up and he calls you, the suppressed truth is unsuppressed and the veiled truth is, the veil's torn. And, and here's how we know this. this. This is not just me assuming this or, or, or trying to come up with some implication that isn't there. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. So literally the chapter right before chapter 4 that we read last week. Paul says, verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Pause there for a second. This is something that you don't read when you look at it in the Old Testament, but then Paul shines light on in the New Testament. Moses, I always thought that Moses wore the veil in order to protect the Israelites. It says here that Moses wore the veil in order to protect himself because the, 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 the glory would go away. See, religion only produces temporary glory. And so he wears a veil for his own sake, not their sake, because he didn't want them to see it coming to an end. Right? Verse 4, verse 14. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ, everyone say through Christ, is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the spirit, the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Again, implication being is that if there is freedom in the Lord, then there's bondage in the law. Right? Verse 18, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So, so this is what's beautiful about this session, church, that even though Satan tries to blind the minds by veiling the gospel, and even though we try to suppress the truth, when Jesus Christ shows up, and when Jesus Christ calls you, you answer. Amen. The suppressed is unsuppressed. The veil is no longer there. Satan can't keep you from Jesus, and even you can't keep you from Jesus. And what I love is that now, in the gospel, the veil has been removed, so now we, with unveiled face, it says that we are transformed from one level of glory to another, not through behaving, but through beholding. 
through beholding and believing that the more I see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, I am transformed, I am sanctified from one level of glory to another level of glory. And unlike religion, redemption is permanent. I don't have to hide it because it'll never go away. In Matthew 16, when Peter tells Jesus, he declares, you are the, the son of God, the Messiah. It, Peter, Jesus literally says to him, hey, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my father in heaven revealed this to you. Church, why are we trying to take glory from God? Why? I don't get it. Like, why are we so desperate to play a role in our salvation? If you know Jesus, it's not because of anything you've done or you've decided. It's because Jesus knew you before the foundations of the earth. Amen. It's the only reason. Amen. Paul goes on. Paul says, look, just in case you think I reasoned my way into this or reflected my way into this. Let me show you who I was before Jesus called me to himself. He writes in verse 13, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. Paul says, he argues, that there was nothing in him that wanted Jesus. Nothing. Nothing in him. As a matter of fact, the opposite was true. He hated Jesus. He despised Jesus. He wanted to destroy everything Jesus stood for. The word there, persecuted, in Greek means to he says he persecuted the church. The word there, persecuted, means to follow or pursue in order to oppress and harass. And then he says he wanted to destroy the church. The word destroy means to ravage, devastate, annihilate, or lay waste to something. Paul absolutely hated and despised the gospel. Here is why I think that's good news, though, church. That Paul in spite of his resistance, in spite of his anger and hostility. He suppressed the truth. Satan veiled the truth. And yet, even in spite of all that, God said, Paul, you are mine, and Paul became his. Amen. Here's why that's encouraging to me, and I hope it's encouraging to you. Because there is probably someone in your life who you've been praying for. There's probably someone in your life who you have been uh, 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 trying to uh, uh, lift them up in prayer, begging God, save their soul. And you probably, over time, have gotten to a place where you've lost hope. What, what, what's the use? There's a good chance that Paul was so far gone in the eyes of the Christians that probably nobody was praying for Paul. Because why would they pray for Paul? There's no way he's coming to know Jesus. 
there's a good chance that all the Christians in that generation, not one of them was praying for Paul. Because surely there's just certain people God cannot save. And maybe that's where you are right now with whoever you're praying for. You are feeling hopeless. You are feeling as if what is the use? Well, unless the person that you're praying for is actively killing Christians, they despise, heck, even if they are, it doesn't change. Because that's exactly what Paul was doing. And yet when God shows up, when Jesus calls you, you answer. But listen, church, if that's you right now, you got to focus on two things. Praying, because only God can do it. And when you get an opportunity, preaching, because only the gospel can do it. So I'm going to pray when I'm away from them, and I'm going to preach when I'm around them, if the opportunity arises. But, but, but here's what I mean by preaching. A lot of times we try to preach to people the benefits of the gospel without the actual gospel. We'll be like, hey, person I'm praying for, you should come to church. You'll find great community there. We just said a little bit ago, though, that false gospels provide false community. Don't preach to them the benefits of the gospel. Preach to them the gospel. Give them the good news because that's what we have. That's why one of our values is we have good news. It's our first value. That when you come to those people, whoever they are, you're coming to them with good news. Not good advice. Not more law. Not more works. So pray for them because only God can do it. And preach to them because only the gospel can do it. Amen. Amen. Paul says, he's saying to the Galatians and he's saying to us, don't go to religion. He's like, I've been there. I've done that. In Philippians 3, that's essentially what he argues. Circumcised on the eighth day, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, blameless, a Pharisee, right? He persecuted the church. He, he describes himself. He, he, what he does here is what he does there. And Paul's trying to let people know, I have tried religion. I was the best at it. No one could hold a candle to me. He said, I was advanced for my age. In my age bracket, I was the number one prospect. And I'm telling you, he says, it doesn't work. He's begging the Galatians. These Gentile people who've never been under the law, don't do it. It won't save you. Paul wants him to know that what saved him was not his grit, but God's grace. What saved him was not his religion, but Christ's redemption. What saved him was not his reasoning, but Christ's revelation. What saved him was not his ongoing works, but Christ's finished work. What saved him was not his righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. And what saved him was not his inconsistent pursuit of God, but Christ's relentless pursuit of him. We read earlier that the gospel leads to freedom, that the gospel is an easy yoke. So if you're sitting here this morning, church, and you are not experiencing freedom, and you feel like you're carrying a burden you're probably not preaching the gospel to yourself. There's a good chance you're yoked to something other than Jesus right now. You're carrying something that isn't yours. 
Because Jesus says his yoke is easy, his burden is light. And in the gospel, there is freedom, not bondage. Then Paul says in verses 15, let's keep going. He keeps uh, 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 explaining the difference between religion, human religion and divine rescue. Look what he says in verses 15 and 17. He says, but when he who has set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I may preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Paul, he, he starts here in verse 15 by saying, but when he, and, and the reason why I love that is because it reminds me of the language that he uses in Ephesians 2. In Ephesians 2, Paul begins verses one through three, and he's talking to us about our condition apart from God. And he says that we were not only dead in our trespasses and sins, but that we were walking in the ways of the world, under bondage and slavery to Satan himself. That's verses one and three. And then all of a sudden in verse four, but he says, but God. Amen. But God. Not but me. He didn't do anything different. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, made us alive together with Christ. The only difference between verses one and three and four and 10 is God's initiative and God's prerogative. He intercedes. That's the only difference. Now, here's the thing. We're going to get a little controversial here. We're, 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 we're just, wouldn't be a Will Franco sermon if we didn't. <laughs> Paul says, not only did I not know Jesus, I hated him and I despised him. I wanted to destroy him. Right? Paul makes it very clear that before he was even born, God chose him. He didn't choose God. Right. Now, some of you are like, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, okay, we get that. That might be what it says in the Greek, but hold on. Let's relax a little bit. The moment Paul heard the gospel for the first time, he responded. So yeah, it was God, but it was also Paul because the moment Paul heard the gospel, he responded by faith. So yeah, it was God, but it was also Paul. Here's why that's not the case. Because Paul doesn't come to know Jesus until Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 8, Paul hears one of the best sermons that's ever been preached. Stephen gets up and he gives Paul not only a theology of the Bible, he gives him a summary of the gospel. And does Paul repent? No. He holds the coats as they kill Stephen. So the whole of Paul just had to hear it. And when he heard it, he responded. No, no, he had heard it. He knew why he was persecuting Christians. Because he was fighting for a do and a don't gospel, not a done gospel. He had heard the gospel. And that probably wasn't the first time he had heard it. Oh, he just needed to hear it. No, no, no. He heard it. And his heart was still hardened. And he still wanted nothing to do with it. And then what's interesting is that when Jesus shows up, he doesn't even give Paul the gospel. He just says, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you? He says, I am Jesus. And he gets saved. Amen. So the whole, oh, well, you know, Paul, he heard it. And Paul just being a religious scholar, a Pharisee of Pharisees, he, no, no. He heard it and rejected it and hated God for it. 
And then in Acts 9, God shows up and he gets saved. Jesus calls him and he answers. The only reason why Paul didn't come to know Jesus in Acts 8 is because Jesus didn't call him yet. Come on. Paul says that God set him apart before he was born. He was called by God's grace. Before I was even born, Paul says, God set me apart, not just for ministry, but for salvation. Paul says, I have just as much to do with my spiritual birth as I do with my physical birth. That's what Jesus tells Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus shows up at, at night. Nick at night shows up and, 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 he, and he wants to know what should I do to be saved? And Jesus says, you must be born again. He's like, how am I going to go back into my mother's womb? And Jesus says, that's not the type of birth I'm talking about. But Nicodemus, you will have just as much to do with your spiritual birth as you did with your physical birth. Paul says, I had just as much say in my heavenly father as I did with my earthly parents. And then what Paul says at the individual level here in Galatians 1, he actually talks about at the corporate general level in Ephesians 1. In Ephesians 1, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Listen to verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. See, because it could be like, well, Paul maybe chose, so, so, so if you only read Paul's part, uh, uh, part in Galatians, it, it, the implication there is that God sets you apart before you are born. No, Paul goes even further back. He said, God set you apart before he created anything. He already knew your name. That we, he set us apart for what? So that we would be holy and blameless before him. Not that if I'm holy and blameless, God will set me apart. No, no. God set me apart to be holy and blameless. In love, it says, he predestined us. Ooh, we don't like that word. If there's a word that people don't like in Memphis, is that word predestined. Problem is, it's in the Bible. And he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to, his praise of, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So, so here's the thing. Again, this is a very controversial word in Memphis. And there are people here who are already shifting in their seats because I mentioned the, the P word. Uh, <gasps> predest, predest, what? what? What are you preaching here? But here's what's interesting. A lot of those same people who get offended by that word, who get offended by the, 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 the argument here, they don't have another interpretation of this passage though. They, 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 they can't give you a different explanation of Ephesians 1. They can't give you a different explanation of what Paul says. Forget up. Look, look, I'm not saying let's sit down you and me and look at our favorite commentators. No, no. Let's sit down you and me and look at the Greek. And tell me another interpretation other than God set Paul apart before he was born. God sets us apart before the foundations of the world. It might bother you. It might offend you. And guess what? God doesn't care. Because if what you have is a difference of opinion, not a different interpretation, put it in your theological pipe and smoke it. 
set apart, he says. The word there, set apart, means to determine beforehand. It means to cordon something off for a special purpose. And you know what I love? Paul says that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And you may not know this, but the word Pharisee in Greek, it, it, the reason why the Pharisees named themselves Pharisees is because the Pharisees, the word Pharisee meant to be set apart for God. To be set apart from God. Paul uses that same language and says, it's not religion that sets you apart for God. It's redemption that sets you apart from God. And it's not you that sets you apart for God. It's God that sets you apart for God. Paul says, I wasn't looking for grace. I wasn't asking for grace. But Jesus called me in his grace. And if you think, well, you know, yeah, okay, I'll give you that. God is the one who, 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 who sets me apart beforehand and saves me. Yeah, I'll give you that. And salvation. But then sanctification, now that's up to me. The problem is, is that Ephesians 2, verse 10, Paul says that even the good works that we do have been pre-established by God ahead of time. So, so get this. God not only knew that I would know him because he knew me first. But God knew that on this day, I would be preaching this passage to this, this group of people. So for me to turn around and take glory for it, when he had already set before me the good works I would do, how can I take glory for that? We talked about this a few weeks ago. And when I'm deciding between one theological position and another, I go with the one that gives God more glory. Amen. And the one that gives me less glory. Pretty, pretty safe bet. Then Paul ends this way. He says, verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Here's what's crazy about God, if we already have not enough reasons to worship him this morning. Paul ends up in Damascus, the very place he was going to. He says that's where he ends up for three years, in the Arabia-Damascus area. But, but he shows up in Damascus not to persecute Christians, but to preach Christ. He ends up in Damascus not to destroy the church, but to build the church up. And, and different people have different interpretations of what Paul was doing. But one of the commentators I came across said, whatever he was doing, we know this. Paul was in the desert, now indwelled with the spirit of God, rereading the word of God in light of the work of God. So, so what Jesus does in Luke 24, where he, he preaches the gospel to the, the, the guys on the road to Emmaus, 
And he shows them how the law and the prophets point to him and it says that their hearts burned within them. That's what Paul did for three years. He went back and read the scriptures that he probably had all memorized. And now he's reading them through a different lens and realizing that it wasn't about him. It was about Jesus. And as he read the word of God in the power of the spirit of God and was, revealed, was exposed to the, wor the, 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 the work of God, the gospel, he read the Bible. And as he read the Bible again, he saw the gospel for the first time. And Paul's heart burned within him. That's what the gospel does. The gospel doesn't tickle your ears. It burns hearts. And what I love about Paul is that he never loses sight of the beauty and the preciousness of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says that he is the least of all the apostles. But he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, he says. Then in uh, um, 1 Corinthians 15, the, that same passage, he tells the believers that the gospel is not what just saved you past tense, is what is saving you present tense and will save you future tense. He tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 to be strengthened by the grace. And what I love about Paul and his gospel centrality is that the gospel that saved him in his wretchedness is the same gospel that sustained him in his weakness. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is wrestling with God and he's asking God, he's begging God to remove the thorn in his flesh. And different people have different interpretations of what's happening there. What could be the thorn in his flesh? Well, based on my reading, I came across this, uh, this book and he goes deeper into it. There's a good chance that the thorn that Paul had was he had an ailment, an issue with his eyes. Because there's numerous times in the letters where he says, this part I'm writing in my own hand. Look how big my letters are. He, he, he has something wrong with his eyes most likely. But this is what this author said that I had never thought of. He said, there's a good chance that Paul's problem with his eyes started in Acts chapter nine. When Jesus revealed himself, it says that he was blind for three days. Then he was made better. But this author argues that if the thorn in his flesh was his eyes, it happened because of Acts 9. So similar to, to, to Jacob wrestling with, with the Lord and the Lord touching his hip so that he never walks the same again, for the rest of Paul's life, the thorn in his side started because of Acts 9. Jesus never wanted him to forget that the same gospel that was sufficient for his salvation was also sufficient in his sanctification. That the gospel that was sufficient for his wretchedness was also sufficient in his weakness. It was a gospel reminder. I don't know how many gospel reminders God's given you. I don't know how many things from your past you still carry with you. Instead of being angry about those things, instead of asking God to remove those thorns, have those be reminders of the grace of God in your life. Not just in salvation, but in sanctification. Paul says in verse 24, and they all glorified God. In other words, God used all of it. He used Paul's past, his personality, his testimony, his scars, his thorn, his past religious uh, religion. He used all of it to bring glory to himself. God uses all of it for his glory and for the good of others.
So to summarize this morning, here's what we've learned in Galatians 1, 10 through 24. What we've learned is that God is sovereign and powerful, not just in our salvation, believing in Jesus, but in our sanctification, becoming like Jesus. And what we've learned is that God not only predestines us, calls us, saves us, but he defines us. And that our identity and our security and our satisfaction and our significance are found not in the people around us, but in the God above us. And when you really understand that, what that'll do as a servant of Christ is that it will empower you to boldly preach Christ to all. Because if God can save Paul, a murderer and a persecutor, God can save anyone. Amen. 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 What a great lesson uh, Pastor Will gave us today. Uh, thank you to him and to our worship team. They did a great job. Um, we're so happy that you're here with us at Church at Home um, Mission Church. We are so grateful that you're tuning in. Um, today we have, uh, my name is Stephen Lyles, and, and this is Liam Brownlee. And then we've got uh, Sarah, uh, who is moderating. So reach out to her and say hello and shout out to her where you're from, where you're watching from, um, and, and we, so we can connect with you. There's also a QR code over there somewhere, somewhere over up here. there uh, above Lynn. So if you're looking for connection or if you have questions or if you need anything, please just click on that QR code and uh, it'll take you to the website where you can look those things up or respond in any way that you yeah. need to. So we're back in Galatians this week and uh, what a great uh, letter from Paul to the Galatians and uh, we're going to read 10 through 24 yeah. uh, and then we're going to jump into some questions. All right. Uh, Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and destroyed it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brothers. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. So in light of this, Steve, yeah. what is something that God taught you in the message today? 
And did it confront you? Did it convict you? Did it comfort you? And, yeah. and like, why? Why did it do that? Yeah, I guess a, a big one for me, some comfort for me was uh, if if God can change and use Paul mm-hmm. to to make a, a really like 180 change, like he's going this way and now he's going this way, right? Yeah. Opposite direction. If God can use Paul that that way, and God can can have an impact in a person's life that dramatically, mm-hmm. then then He can do that with me. Yeah. He can do that with my my wife. He can do that with my brothers. He can do that with whoever, right? Amen. And and that's not something that that's up to us. Obviously, mm-hmm. it wasn't up to Paul, but uh, but that gives me comfort because that means it's not up to me. Yeah, you know. God's going to do that work, and and He's going to do it in His time and His way, and so that just brings me comfort. You know, what about you? I think for me, it, it convicted me, yeah. Because I think, like Paul says before, like He's the chief among sinners. Sometimes I think like I'm too far gone, mm-hmm. or like God is just not looking at me now. But to hear like Paul say, "You remember back when," and then also remember like this is the same God that saw me and kept me through all of this and set me apart Mm. it reminds me like there is nothing that god can't touch oh yeah there's nothing that god can't do so it it convicted me but i I agree now i'm talking it out it also comforted me yeah yeah there's nothing that he can't touch and and that's just so beautiful yeah uh we were studying recently in the book of amos uh chapter nine and Mm -hmm. again in psalm 139 where uh it's describing uh, the the writer is saying that that God can reach you anywhere. He can yeah. be with you anywhere. He can be in your presence anywhere. And so he he compares the heavens mm. right to Sheol, which yeah. in the Old Testament is like the place of the dead. Uh, and he 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 makes this comparison of the heavens and the uttermost parts of the deep of the waters. Right. Yeah. That God can be anywhere and God can touch anything. Yeah. Right. And that I, I think too often we get caught up in this idea of a God that sits on a throne and mm-hmm. he's got a beard and he's an old guy and he just plucks us off the face of the earth when we do something bad. And that's just not who God is. Yeah. You know, we put him in this box. And so I think it's great to be reminded that uh, this is God's work. Mm-hmm. It's not mine. You know, it's, it's not my work. It's not Say your work. Again, it's just yeah. God's work. So uh, in verse 10, Paul argues that you can't seek to please man and God at the same time. Mm-hmm. In what specific ways are you most tempted to please man? How does the gospel message empower us to only fear or serve God alone? What do you, what do you got on that one? Man, I, I'm, I'm kind of like wheeling that one. I'm a people pleaser. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's like I, I want to always see people happy. I want to see people engaged right. and into it. And, and it's tough when yeah. you have to, in light of the gospel, share. Like you're a sinner, but at the same time seeing yeah. that person like, oh, I got it. I'm good on my own. And you're like... Do I want to hurt this person's feelings? Today? <laughs> because that's my first thing. It's not like, do I want to give them the truth? It's like, do I want to hurt their feelings? Right, right, right. And so I always get that mixed up. And for me, the gospel frees me because when I realize that I'm not hurting their feelings, right. I'm giving them the truth so that way they can get to God. Yeah. Because the only way we can get to God is through Christ. There, right. Like you said, there's nothing that we can ever do to earn yeah. or achieve it. Right. And if they keep on, oh, I'm a good person and I say nothing, they're just a good person going to hell. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. But if I give them the truth, even if it feels bad to them, like we said earlier, it's convicting. 
it slowly comforts and it slowly shows us, hey, yes, I'm a sinner, but I also have a savior. Yeah. I also have a deliverer. I also have someone that bought me and paid the ultimate price for sure. my sin that I may go into it. So it, it's it's tough. I'm, yeah. I haven't got to that point of yeah. just drop it completely, if I'm being honest. Yeah. But the more I do behold the gospel, the more I realize, like, yeah, I can do that only through the strength and power of the spirit. Yeah. And, and you know, Will talked about that the gospel is countercultural. Mm-hmm. It's it's offensive. Yeah. It's it's uh so. you know, it gets in people's faces. And and if you're not being offensive to somebody in that way when you're sharing the gospel, it's probably not the gospel. True. You know, <laughs> if you're tickling the ears, it's not the gospel. And so, you know, we've gotta we've gotta remember that that it is countercultural. You know, we live in a culture where um as long as I'm a good person, then I can achieve what God wants me to achieve and God will love me. Yeah. And that's the opposite of the gospel. Exactly. God chose us before the foundation of the world, which his text says. Yeah. And God, um, you know, chose Paul that way. Mm-hmm. Right. But it was God that did the work. Yeah. You know, and he chose Paul and Paul didn't have a choice. <laughs> you got to accept it. And do you think that, think about Paul in that, you know, he's, He's persecuting the church. He's killing Christians. He's he's actively taking part in stoning people to death. Mm-hmm. And the gospel was offensive to him. Yes. Like it was totally offensive to him. And then God and then God shows up and says, Nope, that's not what you're gonna be about anymore. And boop. I mean, he changes completely. Yeah, is is that point that he made where he heard Stephen preach the gospel at first? Yeah. And didn't believe, but right. when God changed him. That's when he believed. That's right. And it's not by any. That goes back to you. It's not by anything we can do. Yeah. It's only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's right. That That's right. any of this is possible. You know, and, and it empowers us when we're able to see the world in in through that gospel lens. Mm-hmm. And that's what Paul was doing. Yeah. Paul was, go, it says, you know, Will talked about him going, possibly going back and reading scripture or thinking through scripture that he had memorized all those years and that his perspective had to change because now he knew the truth of the gospel yeah. versus religion. Yeah. You know, what he had always known. Yeah. And and that's how he could be that's how he could be empowered and so bold to say, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I didn't get this from man. Mm-hmm. This came from the revelation of God. And and that's how things could change so quick quickly because the gospel empowers us in Christ Man. to preach the word. The, it, it's like he says in um, 2 Timothy, uh, to Timothy, he tells him, hey, I know your faith. Now with your faith, fan it with by the spirit of, oh, and be yeah. reminded of the gospel because it's only by the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, but yeah. don't also be ashamed of me because the same spirit that's in me is in you. Right. And so he tells Timothy that because he feared. He was worried about man. He was worried about what other people would say. But then he's reminded of the gospel and what God has done on his behalf, that he's encouraged, that he fans it in the flame, that he's empowered to even go out and preach the gospel. Yeah. And it's so good. I mean, I can go on and on about that, but I think we're on the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) yeah. So let me ask you this. Yeah. In, in, In light of this passage, we saw how God specifically set Paul apart. And use his entire life before Christ to prepare him for his life after Christ. In what ways did God use his life before Christ to prepare you 
in what ways did he prepare you before yeah. your life in Christ to now after your life in Christ? Man, we were talking about this just a few minutes ago before we came on, and uh, I, it's 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 a little crazy. You can look back at your life mm-hmm. and just see where God did all these things. You know, sometimes they were good, yeah, and sometimes they they were hard, mm-hmm. and there was suffering, and there was pain, but God consistently used things in my life to get me to where I'm today. Not that I've arrived by any means. In fact, now I'll probably have more questions than I have answers for, <laughs> but it's, it's God doing that work in you and, and, and God doing those things within you and the Holy Spirit sanctifying you through, through your life. And, um, man, it's just, it, it's, it's a comfort to see that and understand that and be able to show people that and tell people that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to see where I've come from but to see that God has done this work in me today, you know, and continues to do that work in me today. Yeah. Um, you know, I just want to encourage you out there that uh, if you're watching with us today, um, that you understand that it's not a do gospel. It's not a, a don't gospel, that it's a done gospel. Amen. That the gospel is the finished work of the Trinity. You know, it's the finished work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Amen. it's done, and we can take comfort in that and, and participate in his grace and then participate in the peace that he gives us downriver because yeah. uh, grace always precedes peace. That's it. And so um, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Uh, if, if you will, make sure you click on that, that QR code. Make sure you... Uh, check in with us and tell us where you're calling. You know where you're watching from. Uh, if you're needing community, uh, we have th- so many ministries that you can get involved with here at Mission Church, mm-hmm. uh, online or uh, in person. Uh, to get involved, you're just going to go to missionchurchmemphis.com/forward/slash/ministries. Yeah. Uh, and if you're ever in our area, please stop by and see us at the Memphis campus or the Carville locations. I, I should have said campus. Their locations, <laughs> the Memphis location or the Carville location. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here. Um, we, we are praying for you. Uh, please let us know how we can do that. Uh, we will see you guys next Sunday. Yeah, have a good one. See you.